Um, Kevin asked me to speak on evangelism, and when he asked me to speak on evangelism, I'll be honest, that word makes me cringe. Um, when it comes to evangelism, I'd rather chew on a ball of aluminum foil uh, than go and practice evangelism. Some of that is from my experience. I just had some, some bad stuff uh, growing up where, oh, gosh, I was like, became a Christian in 87 when I was a freshman in high school and then in the 90s got involved with InterVarsity at, at JMU as a student. And uh, by way of example, one summer, uh, this is after my junior year, I was working at a Christian camp outside of Lynchburg. You can guess the denomination. And, and we were uh, you know, doing this youth camp with high school kids, middle school kids, and one day was devoted to evangelism. So in the morning, we taught them what the gospel was and uh, taught them this technique of going up to people and doing contact work. And then that afternoon, we went into the mall and they released us two by two with a survey. And we were, me and my partner, we were assigned to the food court. And we would just go up to people and we had this, we're doing a survey. Could we ask you a, a few questions? Do you mind? And, and people say yes. We're like, well, we're just seeing how many of the Ten Commandments people could, could name. And if they put up with that, and you know, we get a few, a few questions in, and most people, by, by the time we got to, you know, do you know why God gave us those commandments, and they didn't want anything to do with us. And we were nervous, we were anxious, we felt like we were selling something, like this just felt cringy. So finally we found this older lady, she was sitting by herself eating, and so we go up to her, she looked safe. We go up to her, excuse me ma'am, could we, could we talk with you for a minute? We're just doing a little survey, we're just seeing how many of the Ten Commandments people could name. Well, she named them all, and she, she knew the Lord Jesus, and she asked us to sit down and fellowship with her, and so the next hour, we just sat and talked with her, so when we came back to report on how our evangelism went, we, said we, we talked to a lady for a whole hour about Jesus, and we were just like, like, that was, we were applauded. Well, if any of you have had similar experiences, I'm not saying contact evangelism is wrong. I'm saying that it doesn't work for me. Um, it, it felt fake. It felt disingenuine. And I've come to personally hold to the, to the conviction that the gospel and the truth that we share is not a proposition. It isn't just four things and then pray a prayer, but rather that the truth of God is a person. It is Jesus himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if the truth of God is a person, then our witness to that truth ought to be personal. It ought to involve us engaging relationally with people, knowing them, building friendships, entering into their lives, their world, their space, just as Jesus came into our world and our space and related to us. And so I want us to, this morning and next week, we're going to look at Luke 10, 1 through 11, and see Jesus sending out 72 of his followers into the world to be witnesses for him. Now we've got to take this with a bit of a grain of salt. This is more descriptive for us, broad generalizations, than it is exact prescription for us as to what we are to do. And today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and then next week, we'll look at verses 8 through 11. Uh, so let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you've walked among us, that you did not stand at a distance and simply send down stone tablets to tell us what to do or who you were, but you took on flesh, word incarnate, walked among us, breathed our air, felt our sorrow enjoyed our joys, and you call us to you, a person, 
And Jesus, would you make us like you, not only morally, but missionally as well, in our posture towards the world? Spirit, we ask that you would illumine this text to us, that we would come to know you better and yield our lives in obedience to this word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can get them out, Luke 10. Verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This single verse has three elements to it. The first is Jesus' assessment. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus sees people as a harvest field, and he doesn't see them wanting for spiritual things. They have something in them that they're ready to be harvested. Oftentimes when we look at the world, if you're like me at least, I'm reading books on culture and I'm reading on these different generational changes and things that are happening in the world and trying to understand the world we're stepping into. And Jesus, I don't think we shouldn't do those things, but Jesus has a much simpler approach. Jesus' eyes see through this lens of a harvest that's ready to be brought in. Three other times, Jesus uses this very similar language of a, a field ripe with harvest. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus sees this crowd of people coming to him, and we're told that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he goes on to say, the harvest is plentiful. It says this exact same thing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. But when Jesus sees the world, he isn't doing sociological studies. He's simply saying they're harassed and they're helpless. Because when you take an entire generation or a culture or a people group, of course, you can study them. But Jesus is looking at individuals. And for each individual, he sees that these people are beat up by sin, the world, the devil. They're harassed, and in this place of harassment, they're helpless. They're lost. And he's saying, I'm sending you out. The harvest is plentiful. I want you to view potential, not scarcity. He says, but there's a problem. That's his assessment. The harvest is plentiful, but there's a problem. The workers are few. There's a labor shortage. And so he has a solution. He says, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers now, most of us can get on board with that. If we're one of the 72, all right, yeah, Lord, I'll pray, I'll pray. Or we pray for Andrew as he goes to Portland, and we pray for Nick as he goes to those heathens at JMU, and we pray for Michelle in Africa, and I pray that you raise up other people, and then go, I'm sending you out. And you're like, me? Next verse, Jesus says, go. I thought you wanted me to pray, Jesus. I'm praying right now. Please don't, please don't interrupt. Um, he says, no, you go. Go. I'm sending, there is a problem. There's a labor shortage. And you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. Go. I'm sending you out. Jesus himself is the model for us to go. The incarnation, taking on a flesh and walking among us, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not done. The church often, instead, is looking to, instead of being incarnational, oftentimes the church is trying to be attractional. 
if we can have like some really slick posters that we put up around campus or around town or advertise or send mailers out into people's mailboxes around the neighborhood. Or if we build a new building, perhaps they'll come. Or we'll teach the congregation this awesome program. And if we run this program, that will take care of it. If the church, if this Sunday morning is the only place where people can know and engage with God, we have a problem. Only two hours a week is the only time that people can know or hear about Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means that they have to cross cultural boundaries and come into our world. Do you know how strange this world is? This is Nate. Nate's one of the rising senior. He came with me today, and I did to him what I do to every student when I come here. I'm like, this place is a little strange. Let me tell you about it. You're going to have to stand up. If it's bold, you read it. And then you're going to have to kneel. And then we're going to point at a cross at the end. And I'm not trying to just get you to do something. It's like, that's not a joke. We're all going to point at this cross. And then you're going to point up. Don't forget to point up and do this or this. And like, I'm coaching the entire time. Do you know what it's like to be a non-believer to step into this environment? To cross boundaries? We're asking non-believers to do something very odd. We are to go to them. We are to incarnate the life of Christ with them. They shouldn't have to simply come here to know. And granted, they can come here to know Jesus. I'm just saying we should be the ones crossing the boundaries. But the thing is, churches, they're always looking for the, the next best program. Is that God isn't looking for better programs. He's looking for better people. He's looking for men and women who are capable, confident in their faith and their love of him to step forward into the world and to go, I'm sending you. And then he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Like CJ, I thought you said they were harassed and helpless. I thought you, I thought you said these people were harmless. No, I didn't say they weren't harmless. I said they're harassed and helpless. Harassed and helpless doesn't mean they're not harmless. You met a harassed and helpless person? I know a lot of them on campus. They're defensive. They're ornery, they strike out, they lash out against people who are just trying to be nice to them. They've never been treated with kindness before. They don't know what it is. They're hostile. And Jesus is saying, yeah, this, this place I'm sending you, I'm sending you uh, out, and you might get eaten alive. In my line of work, I'm often dealing with parents who are, and I get, I get this email at least twice a year, if not up to five times a year, well-intended Christian parents who are trying to decide if they're going to send their kid to JMU, or public school, or to Liberty. And so they email me, like, we're coming up to visit JMU, we're bringing our son or daughter, they're a junior in high school, they're looking at schools, and could we come and meet with you? We'd love to hear about the Christian community at JMU. I said, certainly, I would love to meet with you. And we sit down, and the driving dialogue goes something along the lines of we are concerned for our child's faith. Okay, I got that. I feel that. And so we want to know if they come to JMU, will they be safe from the influences of the world? Will, will, will InterVarsity be a place where they'll be protected from the influences of the world? And my response is absolutely not. In fact, if you send them to me, I'm going to send them out into the world and their mind is going to be challenged, their emotions are going to be confused, their behavior is going to be conflicted, but their strength will be a faith that develops. If you, if you take a, a candle, set it outside, and a gust of wind comes, what's going to happen? It's going to blow it out. But if we go outside and we build a campfire, 
doesn't have to be a big one. We just build a campfire. We get it going. And that wind comes. What's that wind going to do to the fire? It's going to enrage it. It will strengthen the fire. In fact, it might even send embers out and burn down an entire forest. And I, I tell the parents, you know, James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever we face trials of any kind, many kind, because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance, and perseverance needs to finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the question to the parents is, do you want your children to be strong or do you want them to be safe? Do you want them to be like Jesus simply in their morality, or do you want them to be like Jesus in their missional posture to the world? And the same is offered to us. It is a difficulty. It is a trial to step into the world and to engage it. It is hostile, and it will tear you apart. It will eat you alive. But don't be afraid of that. It did that to your Lord. It ate him alive. It killed him and murdered him, and he was resurrected. There's always a renewal and a revival for the people of God. Don't be afraid of the world. 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than that which is in the world. And so we move into the world. And Jesus says, go, I'm sending you. Pray, go. And then he says, well, don't take anything with you. Take no purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Because see, our tendency is we just, we're going to pray, Lord, and then we're going to plan. Pray and plan for this thing that we need to do to bring people in. And our praying and our planning just all adds up to procrastination. And Jesus says, no, there's an expediency to this. Don't, take any, don't go home and pack. And Jesus just tells you, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I need, to go, I need to go get ready for this. Get some Kevlar or some like long jeans and thick canvas, maybe pack a gun. And Jesus says, no, take nothing with you. Just go. Stop, stop your planning. Go. So we, I experienced this on campus. Uh, Nick is on our executive team. He's on our leadership. And uh, this whole semester, actually this whole year and a half, We've been laboring to develop a new heart posture among our students uh, towards the loss and our posture towards the campus, uh, apart from programs, which is the tricky thing to do. And so we're trying to identify men and women who are already in our small group communities who are mature enough. They're not a candle, they're a campfire. And we want to send them out into the world, and we're calling the missional cores, a smaller core of people within our small group communities that have the capacities to already go. And so our executive committee, we're like beta testing this. And there's seven of them are doing it in their small groups. One of them is Nick. And, and they're reporting back to us, like, how are we doing this? How's this stuff going? And one of the big things we do is we pray. We spend the time every week praying, say, Lord God, what do you want us to do? Well, Three quarters of the way into the semester at one of our exec meetings, I don't know if you were there because you were online a lot because of your surgery, but <clears throat> I was like, yo, we're praying a lot and nothing, we're not doing anything. I was like, and not that prayer isn't doing, any, doing things, but I was like, no one is actually talking to non-believers. Like, no one is actually engaging people. No one's turning to someone in the classroom saying, hey, I'm CJ, who are you? Um, and I was like, something seems off in this. We got prayer, but we don't have actual practices and that's what this is. Jesus is saying, not stop praying, but stop all your planning, stop all your figuring it out. Would you just go? Just go do it. And so he undermines procrastination while simultaneously cultivating dependency. Because when you go out with nothing, you're going to be dependent on God, 
and the people to whom you are going. Now, some of you are super type A planners. Shouldn't we plan, should we plan something? Trust me, I'm a super type A. I'm a type A plus planner. I will outplan you. I just went um, spelunking, caving uh, for the first time this Thursday. I've never been. And we weren't going with the tour group. This was a cave out in West Virginia called the Sinks of Gandhi. You can barely find it online. Somebody had whispered it in my ear once in five years ago. I was like, that sounds cool. So I'm taking this, this group of guys that I'm discipling this summer. I was like, we're going to go in a cave. And um, again, no, no guide. There's nothing. There's, it's on private property. And in some ways, it's very refreshing. There's no signs. There's no put $5 here to help pay for it. It's just like it hasn't been commercialized. It's beautiful. But my mind is running. It's like I'm going underground, like a cave. Like this is what people die down there. Like a whole soccer team got trapped down there a couple years ago. Like I remember hearing about that. So I'm like three pairs of shoes. I have two different backpacks. I got a change of clothes. I got two towels, one for me when I get wet because we're following a river underground. And then one for all the mud's going to be so we can put it over in the cars. I got food. I got water and extra water. I got my headlamp. I got my flashlight. I got extra batteries for all that stuff. I even downloaded an offline map of West Virginia because I thought there wouldn't be any cell service out there. We wouldn't be able to get out there. We wouldn't be able to find our way back. I had it all and I packed everything. But you know what I forgot to pack? God. I was so prepared, making my list, doing everything, that my heart was in this place of self-sufficiency. I was in this place that if we get trapped, if we get stuck, if this contingency, if that contingency, I will know what to do, and I will be prepared. I was a Boy Scout. Um, And I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared. I'm just saying that when our preparedness leads us to a place where God has been boxed out of the entire equation, except for a quick prayer, a blessing over top of something, and then our hearts are faithless, as we step out into the world, something's off, something's wrong. And so Jesus sends these people out in a posture of dependency upon God, but also a posture of dependency on the people they're going to go to. Now, we don't want to show up in people's lives and be a burden to them, but we want to show up in a posture of interdependency, where, yes, I am bringing some things. We're going to see that next week. But also, I'm coming to you not as some superhero outsider swooping in to save you and I have no needs from you. I'm going to enter into your life and I'm going to let you give back to me. So don't take anything. Don't even greet anybody on the road. That's the expediency idea. Jesus isn't encouraging inhospitable behavior. He's simply saying, get going and get where you're going. So that's all pre-sending, and now he's going to tell them what to do when they actually get there. Verse 5 through 7 is really just, honestly, it's friendship 101. It's, It's build a friendship. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, they'll return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. So this is what I'm saying. This is a little more descriptive than prescriptive. We're not going to go up to people and say, peace upon this house. Um, We're just going to go up to people and say, hi, hello, my name is CJ, who are you? We're going to extend peace a sense of whole relationship being offered, who I am, and that might rest on that person. That person might say, oh, hi, I'm Fran. Who are you? You're from where? Let's have a conversation, and we start conversing. Other people, they don't want to talk to you. They want nothing to do with you. And so as we go out, we're looking, verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6, for the person of peace, a person upon whom our peace will rest that when I offer friendship and relationship, they want it. 
that's, that's going to require a couple things of us. The first thing it's going to require is a discernment of a person's openness to you. The capacity to read people. Not just saying, well, I'm on the Lord's mission, so I'm just going to pound relationship and you will be my friend. There's this guy, um, uh, his name is Mike. We call him Big Mike. Uh, he's a very intimidating figure. It'd be like Hugh Jackman from Wolverine walking in the door. Tall, big, hairy, doesn't smile and doesn't talk. That's Big Mike. Um, and Big Mike wasn't a Christian until just last summer. And in 2019, after his freshman year, he'd gotten kind of involved with InterVarsity, not really coming out to our programs, but he was in our community. He, uh, he was befriended by some of the guys uh, in his dorm his freshman year. And I was down in Virginia Beach for a wedding and uh, texted the one guy, Josh. I was like, yo, Josh, I'm in town. What are you up to? Um, and he's like, oh, me and some of the guys, we're going out on my dad's boat. Do you want to come? I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I, I go over to Josh's house and Big Mike is there. Yeah, I've never talked to this guy. I've seen him before. We prayed for him. I knew he wasn't following Jesus. Um, and we get out on the boat. There's like a half dozen of us. And I'm sitting next to Big Mike, just the way that things turned out. And uh, I turned to him, I introduced myself. I, said, I think we met before. I'm CJ. He's like, Mike. Okay, cool. I was like, uh, and I was like uh, how's, your, how's summer? Good. Where's home for you again? Orange County. You work in the summer? Yeah. And at that point, I was like, this guy does not want to talk to me. Uh, he wants nothing to do with me. He had heard, he'd been to a lawyer. He'd heard me speak before. So he kind of knew who I was in terms of a figure, but he didn't know me relationally. But he was putting out that vibe. He didn't want anything to do with me. You know what I did? I cut it off. I said, you know what? There's no, I'm extending peace. But it, it isn't landing. Peace isn't being returned to me, and that's okay. I don't need to be the figure in Mike's life. He's got Josh, and he's got some others. Well, I, I need, I'll see if I can get Big Mike to come next week. He's just over in Orange County. Let's see if I can give him a drive over the mountains. Well, he came to faith last uh, spring of uh, 2021. 20, became a Christian. Still wasn't talking. No, I just heard all that through the grapevine. We've been praying for him for years. So finally, you know, two and a half years uh, later, this, is, uh, this past December, I get a text from Big Mike. <clears throat> says, CJ, this is Mike. Can we have lunch? I was like, oh, I'm excited. It's like... I don't know. It's like the, the pretty girl asked me on a date, kind of like excitement. I was like, what? This is, this is awesome. Um, so we're going to D Hall. He's nervous, really nervous. Can't even make eye contact, but he's talking. You know, nervous people sometimes just start talking. He starts talking. He's looking around, telling me all this stuff. And he's like, towards the end of our meal, I was like, but uh, I, I wanted to know if you would disciple me. Meet, meet with him one-on-one and study the Word of God. I was like, Mike, I would love to. We've meeting every week, uh, starting in January, goes the entire book of Rome. We got through chapter 8 of Romans. We'll keep going through it next year. Uh, he was just over Thursday night, had dinner. He's become a friend, a very good friend. Um, I'm, all I'm saying is we need to know our place in God's work missionally, and it is our place to extend peace. But if peace isn't returned, we need to have some discernment and trust the Lord and move on to another person, extend peace to them. The other thing that it requires us is a willingness to strike up conversations. And this, I'm an introvert. I'll be honest. I feel more comfortable right now being up front talking to you than I do during the little coffee bagel time afterwards. That's weird for me. Um, 
So trust me, as an introvert, I say this, we need to strike up conversations with people. We need to extend peace to people. We need to learn to be what I call bivocational. I'm a bourbon collector. Um, I drink it too. Uh, but I, I collect these hard-to-find bourbons, and it used to be that when the ABC store you know, opened at 10 a.m., and you could go online and find out, and they go, oh my gosh, they got this, this bourbon just dropped. And you go at 9 a.m., and there'll be a line of people, normally just a bunch of middle-aged white guys, standing there uh, waiting for 10 a.m., and they'd all be talking to each other. And honestly, they're on my phone. I don't want to talk to these people. I'm here to get bourbon. I, I'm not trying to build friendships with everybody around the world in, like, Costco lines or the gas station or anything like that. This, I was doing this a couple summers ago, and the Lord really burdened my heart. He's like, why are you? Why are you here just to get bourbon? Aren't you here to, you say you represent me. Do you only do that when you're up front at large group or on campus? Do you not represent me in bourbon lines? I was like, dang it. <laughs> All right. Yes, I represent you in bourbon lines. Uh, and so, see, this is the way we tend to view life, isn't it, though? Like, I'm here to do this. I'm at Costco to get groceries. That's my vocation. It's my call as I step in there. But at all times and all places, we have to be also representing the Lord. We are His witnesses. I have to be bivocational and not just get caught up in the moment of getting my task accomplished, but being open to the, what the Lord might bring. So that means saying to the person in front of you in line, hey, how are you? Saying to the person sitting next to you at the bar, hey, how are you? Saying to the person that you work with, hey, I'm so-and-so. And I'm, looking, I'm just looking for the person of peace. I'm not trying to impose something on people. Not everyone wants to be your friend. Sorry, Fran, that's true. I know, it's hard to believe, but... And so we go out into the world as Christ. We go out extending peace, simply looking for those who want to be in relationship with us. And when we find them, we're going to stay with them. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. We're going to work alongside them. The worker deserves wages. Do not move around from house to house. Invest in the relationship. Do you even want more friends? Can we be honest? Do you, do you even want more friends, or do you feel like, I, got, I have too many people in my life as it is? Does anybody else feel that way? I do. It's like, I, I, like, I don't think I have the emotional, social capacities for anyone else, so why would I even bother? Well, it's because it isn't up to you, it's up to us. It is a communal work of God that maybe you're just that initial point of contact with somebody, and then you just pass them off to Fran, and she takes it from there. Fran knows how to relate to anyone and everyone. No? Yeah. Um, she does. But all I'm saying is, Jesus didn't ask you to follow that all the way down the line. He just said, say hi, extend peace, stick it out with that person, and then ultimately, they sent out in pairs. There's a community thing happening here. Let's see what God does. I did not play that initial role in Big Mike's life. The other guys did. They had trust. They had relationship. They had friendship. But they could only take him so far. And actually, I found out they were the ones who said, you need to reach out to CJ if you want to go further. And I'm going to take him as far as I can. We're playing our roles and our responsibilities. But would you at least be willing? Don't put that initial block up. I don't have space. I don't have time. I don't have whatever for more people. Just say, Lord, my life is available to you. I'll extend peace to people. Well, we'll look at the rest of this text next week.
There's more work to be done. It's not just building friendship. There's work. There's words. But let me close. A little sideways here, but tomorrow is the 4th of July. We're going to eat and we're going to celebrate our nation's freedom from an oppressive regime. And we're about to eat a meal up here that celebrates and commemorates our freedom from an oppression, sin. The Passover meal was instituted by God when His people, Israel, left the place of slavery, Egypt. The Passover meal is their 4th of July feast. It's their Independence Day meal. And Jesus pulled the curtain back on that Passover meal and said, that's my body and that's my blood. I have come to release you from slavery to sin, from the oppression that it causes in your life. And so if you are worshiping with us this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He has come to release you from that which harasses you and makes you helpless in this world. He has come to release you from sin, bondage to it, And he does it by taking it onto his own body on the cross, dying under the weight of it, paying the penalty, but then also breaking the power of it by resurrecting from it. And that is what he brings into our lives as well. If you've never trusted in him in that way, if you've never received him in that way, I invite you, call upon Jesus. We're about to take some time to confess our sins. We're going to worship some more. Use this time to get right with the Lord. Tell Him you're harassed. Tell Him you're helpless. Call upon Him to be the good shepherd of your life. And if you'd like to know more about that, what does that mean? What does it look like to live? What does it look like to trust? I would love to speak with you. I know Andrew would love to speak with you. Um, Probably somebody who brought you would love to talk with you about that as well. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you do not merely save us, but that you send us that you have called us to walk in your shoes, not just morally, but missionally, to engage this world as you engage this world, to love it, to not be against it, but to be for it, to seek its well-being and its redemption. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of representing you and being your agents. Father, would you use the Church of Lamb mightily from Harrisonburg to Elkton and everywhere in between to make you known in this world. Lord, would you help us to be your witnesses who welcome others into friendship and relationship, who speak to them of your goodness and your gospel and labor for their well-being and our community's well-being. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.